Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Jesse. And we are coming at you with some... Cracking open yet another new series, and it's a, a very exciting series. one for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Jesse, since this one originated with you, uh, would you please let us know what it is? This is a series that I love. It's the modern Western series, which we are defining because this is very much our definition. I think from the '90s onwards, there have been a handful of westerns that we like. And we're here to talk about those westerns post nineties, post nineties, post nineties. Yeah, because there there definitely was a big shift between we have like the the slight rise of westerns as being very successful in the silent film era, moving into our our black and whites. We got the singing cowboy Roy Rogers. We move into some of the earlier color pictures: John Ford, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart. Got some Steve McQueen in there, some Yul Brynner. We even got a lot of a lot of Clint Eastwood back in yeah. the day on the small screen. Um, we got TV shows like Bonanza. We got uh, Rawhide. We got Wanted. We got The Big Valley. You know, westerns really, really ran Hollywood for a long time. And mm-hmm. somewhere in the in the late '60s, early '70s, they kind of petered out. They had to move to other countries. You know, specifically, it's where we get like the spaghetti westerns. But it stopped being viable for Americans to make big budget Western films. We got some like weird outliers in different places, but it wasn't until the nineties where we really began to see this Renaissance. I think it really started with, with dances with wolves in 1990, which of course, you know, wins best picture and everyone's on fire for Kevin Cosner doing this again. But what that signaled though, was a different kind of, of Western than what we were used to. This wasn't Western as propaganda, almost propaganda for the American ideal of our dream. This wasn't even like an examination of settlers or or relations between settlers and indigenous peoples like a lot of this was really about reckoning with ourselves and our past and the western seemed a really good vehicle to do that but there were very few of them and the ones that came out were usually very good or were very forgotten so like in this series you will not see us covering stuff like the quick and the dead you know we're not going to do appaloosa we're not doing open range we're not doing uh, some of these other ones that you know you might know because like Viggo mortensen's in some of them you know we're actually going to be covering Unforgiven. We're going to be doing 310 to Yuma, and we're going to be doing True Grit. And we're doing these because between these three movies, I think that we see a good encapsulation of what the post 90s Western looks like and sort of what it means to us as fathers growing up, us as kids growing up, you know, men, and also for what it means for us when we pass the Western on to our kids. Because while we do have our deep roots in the classics of old, these are the new modern, dare I say, classics that we have to work with now that we would, you know, like to discuss them being in the dad canon. Yeah. And I, of course, I'm still going to show my kids older John Wayne movies because I'm attached to John Wayne movies like we talked about before. And I'm going to show them no name trilogy oh, eventually. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. eventually. And then there's a lot of modern Westerns that I, and I love. Like, I always think of the Westerns as like three distinct eras. It's really the John Wayne era for me and then there's the the clint eastwood era the man with no name era and then there's whatever we have the now because po- we have the postmodern lo- western 
that's basically what it, what it is. It's a lot of different stuff. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this, too, because I want to talk about what on earth we have here. Yeah. And, and those Westerns, too, you know, we are trying to to limit our focus again because of those postmodern Westerns that have come out. We have things like There Will Be Blood. We yeah. have things like No Country for Old Men. And we are specifically not focusing on those as well because those are, are different takes on this very classic kind of genre. And so we went with Western movies that got that cowboys, straight man. Straight Westerns. Straight yeah. up. There, there's not anything else to do with them. So True Grit, based on like the fantastic uh, novel by Charles Porter, already was a John Wayne movie remade by the Coen brothers. We got 310 to Yuma, based upon the short story by Elmore Leonard, that was already made into a movie starring Henry Fonda. Uh, 310 to Yuma, straight up gangsters, guns, gunfire, ranchers, ropers. Good guys, bad guys, exactly. white hats, black hats. And then Unforgiven. Unforgiven, which, you know, Dances with Wolves seem to reinvigorate the Western genre, especially in terms of box office gross and critical reception, which used to go hand in hand back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it wins a bunch of Academy Awards. And two years later comes our first entry here, Unforgiven, which also does score really big at the Academy, makes $200 million off of a $14 million budget. Wow. Starring three of the biggest stars we've ever had in Hollywood. Four. Not Richard well, Harris. He's one of the biggest stars we've ever had. Not he no, is. No, he, he no, is. He was a huge star. He was not one of the biggest stars we ever had. Not okay, not maybe not one of the biggest. Not stars. standing with Clint Eastwood. Guy. Okay. Not standing with Gene Hackman. He was a big star. He was fine. He was. He was big. He was in Guns of Navarone. Yeah. So was a bunch of other people. Yeah, but he was in, in Guns in of Navarone. Bigger roles. Yeah, but he was in Guns of Navarone. <laughs> if you're in Guns of Navarone, you're a huge star in my book. He, That's all it takes. Just, He's one of those people that's just been in a whole lot of things. He was Albus Dumbledore. Come on. He was Albus Dumbledore for the first two movies. And then they switched him out because he died. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Not because he was bad. No, he he was so good, it killed him. Um, (laughs) But this being Unforgiven, you know, selecting this one, it's what Eastwood does best. And I think the pinnacle of what he does best, right? He's questioning the Western. He's questioning the genre. And that's really what all these movies that come out in the 90s and after that are Westerns, I think really are doing. I think they're really asking the questions of the John Ford movies, of the uh, John Wayne, the Jimmy Stewart's, the Steve McQueen's, anyone that you care to, the James Arnesses, you know, they're asking the questions that those stories were just really basic on. James Arness, Gunsmoke, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's why we're doing it, right? That's all of it. Yeah, I mean, like, they're also great movies that we really like. Yeah, they're also good movies. (laughs) We really like these movies. Um, They're really good. It's interesting to think about them. I don't know. Like, this is totally jumping into an entire discussion. But I'll note, it's interesting to think of them alongside, like, There Will Be Blood or No Country for Old Men, because those are considered Westerns, or they're they're put into that category of postmodern Western. But they're very much, very different. They're not about cowboys in the you know whatever this specific time period is after you know, after the civil war and before the turn of the century probably yeah but they are still plumbing similar depths maybe they're, they're still inquiring about america yeah. and, and about masculine identity right yeah they're still doing that i think no country and there will be blood they're both missing the tropes though cowboys and yeah gun, real did they really have gunslingers in no country I, there, there's there's gunfire, but they, I, I couldn't call anyone slinging, you know? Yeah, they're not really okay. slinging. They have like the, the air this pressurizer. A, oh, <laughs> I, I really want to have this conversation because I have so many thoughts about it. 
I but I also have a lot of thoughts about Unforgiven. That's true. Well, yeah. Maybe we should move in that yeah, way. Yeah, maybe we should so move, move I in will, that way. I think I will just say one of the reasons why we're not doing it, because we both like those, we all like those movies. Yeah. But we're not doing it in this series because if you say Western, I don't think that's the first thing your mind turns to. You're going to think of cowboys and saddles with guns. And those are the movies that we've chosen. I think about six shooters. I think about 10 gallon hats. I mm-hmm. think about dust, long coats, belt buckles. I think about all that rough and tumble stuff. Harmonica, guitars, <clears throat> yes. bars, yeah. of course. whiskey. Yep. Dude, yeah, you got to yeah. have the saloon with the uh, nice swinging doors. I can't even, I don't even billiards. know. The, the, the billiards. Billiards. The billiards. <laughs> yeah. The billiards. <laughs> no, and that's, that's kind of like we wanted to, for all of us, yeah. you know, Jesse originated this idea and it was a great idea, but what we all wanted to focus on was just these modern ones that we had seen and like kind of how that that intersected with our childhood experiences of also having known a lot of the classic Westerns and seeing these new ones come out. Um, and we just wanted to have that talk. And to start this, we have Unforgiven. It's uh, from 1992. It starts with this beautiful, beautiful opening text. She was a comely young woman and not without prospects. Therefore, it was heartbreaking to her mother that she would enter into marriage with William Money a known thief and murderer, a man of notoriously vicious and intemperate disposition. When she died, it was not at his hands, as her mother might have expected, but of smallpox. That was 1878. Just beautiful. Beautiful. And the the opening scene with the the gorgeous... We'll we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. It's a beautiful scene. I I know you're Mm -hmm. saving up. I know you're saving (laughs) up. We can talk about it now. Stoke that excitement. (laughs) But uh, Unforgiven was nominated for nine Oscars, winning Best Picture, Best Director, Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman, Film Editing, and Losing Best Actor for Clint Eastwood, Best Screenplay for David Webb Peoples, Art Direction, Cinematography, and Sound. So it was produced and directed by Clint Eastwood. This is the guy. If, if you're talking about Westerns and you're not talking about John Wayne, you're talking about Clint Eastwood, right? Yeah. Just a singular brand almost upon the westerns from 1960 to 1990 yeah really yeah. amazing yeah john wayne is obviously the king the duke but clint the eastwood duck? has to Mm-mm. the duck, <laughs> the duck. <laughs> not the duck not the duck <laughs> oh man but clint eastwood is clearly like the prince i guess of of the west right and i think he's made that Dude, this dude's career is so amazing because, like, it's obviously crazy. he's yeah. a staple of like the westerns, but then everything he does afterwards, he's so prolific. Yeah, they, they they call him. I think they call him like three take Clint because when he directs movies, he rarely goes more than three to five takes. Really, he'll just book it because he wants to be done by like two p.m. So awesome. he, he wants yeah. to be in and out and finish and done and goodbye, go home. <laughs> so Spielberg is quoted as saying that like if you're on your third take with Eastwood something's wrong and all the actors are at their absolute best because they know they should not be doing their third take. Wow. Yep. Just get in and get it done, man. You know, don't, don't mess around. Yeah. Also he was sainted. I think very, very well canonized um, as the spirit of the West. When Timothy Oliphant portrayed Clint Eastwood in the 2011 animated film Rango, (laughs) (laughs) where he was named the spirit of the West. He was, uh, he was golfing while wearing a poncho and a hat and the cowboy hat, and then gets in to drive away his golf cart, which is full of Oscars. (laughs) Um, He's the spirit of the West. He's the spirit of the West. I feel like he picks up where the Duke can't follow. Famously, after making High Plains Drifter, 
Eastwood wrote John Wayne asking if he wanted to make a movie. The Duke was furious at High Plains Drifter's revisionist portrayals of the West and its explicit violence. Eastwood did not respond to his criticisms and they did not make a movie together. <laughs> which, honestly, after watching High Plains Drifter, which is one of the more upsetting, brutal, violent, and almost nihilistic of Eastwood's Westerns, like, kind of makes sense. It's, huh, yeah. That is not a good time. <laughs> I did not have a good time watching it. Yeah. But after that, he also directs the Outlaw Josie Wales, Pale Rider, Heartbreak Ridge, The Bridges of Madison County, Unforgiven, for which he wins Best Picture and Best Director, nominated Best oh, Actor. Again. And sorry, real quick. Between those times, right before Unforgiven, he was mayor. <laughs> so before he directs Unforgiven, from 86 to 88, he was mayor of Carmel by the Sea, which has a population of around 3,000 people. It's in Monterey County, California. And yeah, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Absolutely is. I spent a long I spent a long weekend there. Actually, after the death of my father, oh. uh, right after his death, I spent a long weekend up there, just me and my wife. It was a really beautiful time. It's a gorgeous town. Yeah, I love it. I, it's weird to imagine Clint Eastwood walking down the street, <laughs> being mayor of this little like very rich but also very fishing heavy town. <laughs> It's weird to imagine him being the mayor of a Californian town in general. Yeah. Like, especially a place as perfect as Carmel, because you imagine him, if he's the mayor, he's like a gun-toting mayor. Yeah. He's like, he's got the hat on, he's walking around carrying a shotgun, like, it's dusty. Mm-hmm. It's not Carmel. Not Carmel yeah. at all. <laughs> Carmel is, like, cold and wet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty trees and grass. Yeah. Great cliffs. It's yeah. great cliffs. There's water there. But um, he also has a reputation of being like a super chill dude. Yeah. By which I think you mean ladies man. <laughs> <laughs> Say more about that, Vito. Uh, he will not, as, according to my my research, which at best could be classed as mediocre, will not identify the number of children he has. <laughs> because a lot of them keep coming out of the woodwork all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on Wikipedia... Under children, it says at least eight. Yes. <laughs> at least eight by somewhere between like five and nine women. Somewhere in there. <laughs> Do you like my math? <laughs> I, I, yes, it's good math. He, good math. He likes to run around. He likes to run around. But after un, uh, Unforgiven, for which he loses his Best Actor nomination to Al Pacino, who wins for Scent of a Woman. Um, a lot of controversy about him winning that. Right. Most okay. I can say is hoo he is again nominated for Mystic River for Best Picture and Best Director. Million Dollar Baby wins Best Picture and Best Director. Nominated for Best Supporting. Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. Same year. Two different movies about the same conflict. Right. But he is nominated for Best Picture and wins Best Director for Letters. Can I um, say that is insane? I don't hear that often. Two movies in the same year. Let alone two movies on the same subject from opposite sides. That's really cool. I don't think that that's ever been done. Yeah. Well, in Flags of Our Fathers, like, I, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen either of these movies. I read the book. There's a book, Flags of Our Fathers, because it's kind of the story of the the six men who raised the flag on Iwo Jima. That's a very classic photo. We've all yeah. seen it. About them, about the, the story of the photo, the story of the men. But Letters uh, uh, from Iwo Jima, I think he must have written that himself, I believe. He is credited, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, not not from the But it, it is also book. based on a, on a book. I think oh, it is? Them, I think both of them okay. are. Okay. But yeah, I, I can't think of a single director that has done 
two movies about the same thing, but from opposite sides. But I think the only other one I can think of that did two in one year is Soderbergh with Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. And those are both Best Picture nominees. And real quick, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima that was written by Iris Yamashita. Nothing oh. from Clint. I don't really think Eastwood writes <clears throat> a whole lot. Okay. He directs, he acts, he produces, he, he writes musical write. scores. Oh, we'll he, get to that. Oh, yeah. He does like he does so much for movies, and he's done so many of them. It's kind of insane, but yeah, I don't really think he writes a lot of them. But after that, we That's have uh, we have Gran Torino. A couple years later, remember when he was going to retire after Gran Torino? Yeah, you guys remember that? Yeah, <laughs> that didn't happen. That did not happen. <laughs> but then he did American Sniper. You know the thing that like blew the doors off everyone's. It knocked everyone. I remember everyone was talking about American Sniper. Yeah, I couldn't go anywhere without hearing someone talk right? about that. Mark no. Wahlberg? No. no, Bradley Cooper. Oh, yeah. Not Lone Survivor. Not, I was thinking of the shooter, not American Sniper. Oh, that is, yes. he is an American and a sniper in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm a little tired tonight, guys. Maybe a little. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You're doing good. <laughs> but after that, we got, I mean, he's so busy. I mean, in between then and now, he's done like, he's done Sully. There's Jay Edgar in there somewhere. Um, Richard Jewell, a couple years ago. And Cry Macho is coming out later this year, which he is writing, directing, and starring in. Apparently, Wait, wasn't there apparently also... it took him one month to film. <laughs> That's wild. Wasn't there also the mule in there too? Somewhere? The mule is in there as well. I didn't include yeah. it because of the uh, um, the Oscars completely overlooked it. But yeah, oh, he did. Okay. It. Yeah. I, I yeah. have not seen it. So this is, this is really strange, but I haven't seen most of Clint Eastwood's directed films. Like a vast majority yeah, of them. At this point, I've seen Unforgiven and Gran Torino and nothing else. The wind whispered through my Gran Torino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's weird, and it, it can be exhausting because you know that you're going to get a Clint Eastwood movie about every year and a half. It's going to be between an hour and a half and two hours long. It's, especially in the last decade, going to be a, a, a biographical picture about somebody that's still alive. Um, he's going to do it really quick. It's going to star a big star. There's going to be a big promotional push behind it. It's going to usually get recognized in some way at the Oscars, but the poster is usually going to be like a desaturated color. You know, it's going to have the main character. <laughs> usually the title of the movie is the main character. Yeah. It's going to star someone like kind of unexpected in the role or someone you would totally expect. Like it, there's yeah. just some hallmarks to an Eastwood thing. Also, they're all about men. All of them are always all the time. All men, a hundred percent men. Million dollar baby. Com. Yeah, 2004. <laughs> okay, from the past 10 years. <laughs> almost yeah. 20, man. Almost, yeah, almost 20. 20. Oh, but you're saying in the past 10 years, they're all about men. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, I, I mean, his, his newest movie is called Cry Macho. <laughs> that's better. I mean, I would hope that's about men. Well, do I hope that? I don't know what I hope that's about. I hope it's, it's about something. about men crying. I don't know. It's based on a 1975 novel that I've done no research into. So that's maybe we'll talk about it later yeah. on. Eastwood has a fascinating career in general and like a fascinating, I don't know, relationship with Hollywood, right? Like he's, he put, he puts out these movies that are always like, they're good. He puts out good movies and the Academy is, gives them a nod almost every time. Low budget, character driven, good actors, comes in under budget on time, releases frequently. Yeah. But he also promotes like, it's, he, he's kind of a weird intersection um, of different ideals, I guess, because he's got movies where it's like Unforgiven, where he sort of repudiates the old West. And then he's got movies like, 
like Gran Torino where it's extremely conservative and like it's he's just a very he's a fascinating individual. Yeah, I think. Yeah, cantankerous, weirdly progressive sometimes. Yeah, he and he, also like strangely conservative in other times, and it's like kind of confusing. You don't, you don't know like where the bead is. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's that's it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Maybe that's almost why I'm not really ever interested in a Clint Eastwood movie because I never know what I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah. The only thing you do know is that he's going to be cantankerous as all hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's usually all I know. Um, but. In, in terms of like Unforgiven, though, from what I know, this was not like his breakout movie, obviously, because he's done lots of movies beforehand. But this is like when people realize that Clint Eastwood is is hard to nail down, right? At least that's that was my understanding. This is when people realize, oh, he's not he can really act in his movies. He can act in a Western and it'll be something different than what we've seen before. This isn't quite what we were expecting going into a Clint Eastwood Western movie. I, I would say that that's, that's probably a very good point because up until now, like his eighties are very strange. It's, it's some Westerns. It's a lot of dirty Harry. It's, it's just some strange movies coming into the nineties and coming into some of this, this other like more highbrow work. It's clear the eighties were him like kind of testing some stuff, getting by. And then the nineties are like, all right, so we're going to do our thing. And in the nineties, he directs one, Oh, he has two movies out in 1990, by the way. Uh, White Hunter, Black Heart, and The Rookie. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten movies in, well, nine movies in between 1990 and 2000. Two of which, again, are in 1997, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil and Absolute Power. I guess this is just a normal thing for him, just slamming out. These are also movies he directs and is stars in, by the way, too. Yeah. I guess he just slams out two movies a year. It's not a problem. Get it done. Who cares? Make the movie. Move on. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah. And it's really, I think it's pretty clear that Unforgiven is the thing that just makes it explode. Like that's when Clint Eastwood, everybody realizes like you're not just like the old TV show star. You're not just a spaghetti Western star. You're this guy who's going to be cemented in Hollywood as a directing legend for years to come. That's a good point. That's a good uh, clarification too, because it really is the directing because he he's just in movies still. He's still starring in stuff, even if he doesn't um, direct them or have a hand in making them. But he tries to take over that mantle very quickly. I mean, besides starring in a lot of the movies that he directs and produces, he's an action and Western star first. Um, originally the characters of Dirty Harry, uh, Dirty Harry Callahan, The Man With No Name, and then also Kelly from Kelly's Heroes. That's a fantastic movie we don't talk about enough. Kelly's Heroes rules. I've never seen Kelly's Heroes. No it heroes. is such a good time. <laughs> it is, you want a good time war movie about some guys that are trying to heist some gold in the middle of World War II? Boom. Kelly's Heroes. Kelly's that sounds Heroes. Great. Is that kind of like 14 fifths of, fifths, fifths of McCluskey? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, almost exactly. And in fact, from that movie, there's a track called Tiger Tank. Oh, yeah? And Tarantino's used it, I think, in two movies. Really? Yeah. Mm. Okay. He really likes Kelly's Heroes. Okay. But then also Rowdy Yates for 217 episodes of Rawhide. Rawhide. 217 episodes of Rawhide. That's insane. That's, That's insane. Wild. This is an absurd career. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen anybody in Hollywood have a career that looks like this. Because, like, think about it. If you start on a big TV show, maybe I'm just not thinking, but I haven't heard of a lot of people who go on to have a prolific acting career and a prolific directing career. I don't think that. there's anyone. 
I don't yeah. think there's a single person that has the achievements of Clint Eastwood. Yeah, not, not I've, one. I he's think, fearless. I'm yeah. I think I'll say that he's the most prolific person in Hollywood that I know of. Pretty much, yeah. Outside of like your character actors or guys that are just coming onto a shoot for a few days, for someone that originates projects, stars in projects, directs them, shepherds them, like the only person that really gets close to Clint Eastwood from rising from TV into movie making is like George Clooney coming out of ER, turning into a big movie yeah, star and yeah. then turning into directing. And there is no one that would defend George Clooney's movies as a director as being as good as Clint Eastwood's movies as a director. Also, I don't you think know? he puts out as he doesn't put out as much anywhere near. As no, he's, he's put no. out like four or five. Yeah. yeah. Or like DiCaprio Which getting started on like growing pains. Like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. still a sitcom star rising to the prestige right. level, but he's only in a movie. Brad like, Pitt like, too. Every, Brad like, Pitt three started years. as a, as a, he was just on TV shows and now he's directing movies as well, but he's nowhere near as prolific. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no one, one does is. it. No one can do that. No one has the drive. What kind of drive? Like, like, what is he driven to do? Is it just like, I, I have these stories to tell. I have these things to create, but it's <clears> wild because it's like, He's milling around in the, very much in the same world. I think, the whole I think time. it's a job. Yeah. And that, that's why I think a lot of his movies are very spare, very simple, very easy, because he this is a job that he does. He makes movies. Yeah. Well, and so he makes movies the best that he can. I mean, like, and, and, dude, and no, he's but they're 80 they're, years old now. He doesn't need to do he's, it. But 20 years no, ago, they were made the same 91. way. He's yeah. 91. Yes, oh, he is. And he's a movie coming out this year. <laughs> yeah. But he's always been spare and unfussy. Yeah. That's always been his style. Any, there's nothing extraneous in his movies. His movies just are are very simple, very easy yeah. to follow, very very normal. Yeah, and sometimes but, like you have a ten year gap where none of those movies are remarkable. But Clint Eastwood also apparently always says that he thinks the best movie that he can make is in front of him. So I think he's still chasing some sort of greatness in himself that he knows is there and hasn't quite come out on screen yet. I don't I don't um, believe that quote. I've seen too many mediocre objectively mediocre Clint Eastwood movies like dude, oh yeah no no <laughs> you did not think this is the best movie you did not it, it may be that seen he's making a movie no. just to make it I mean I, it feels almost like he's just movie making is his sort of way of of just like getting rid of of whatever's going on in his head he's like I gotta make a movie to deal with whatever's going on in my life like maybe like it's just like what he does on the side I, I don't even know, you know I don't even know if it's that personal because his projects like, are so random also, I, like, it's like you're fiddling yeah. with a toy, you know, like when you're you're bothered, mm. you're distracted. It's, it's like his form of distraction so he can work out what's going on in his head. That I can you see. Know? So apparently what he does for his style of directing is he'll like envision a scene, envision, but specifically like camera angles, lighting, stuff like that. But when it comes to like what happens on screen with the actors, he just lets them do their job. So that's why he doesn't do more than two or three takes because like he just wants to see what they come up with with this script with this vision that he has he wants to he wants them to do their job and that style seems to be wildly unpredictable if you ask me (laughs) yeah it is yeah it's it's very much trusting that the people you're going to work with are going to do their jobs which is why he so frequently works with the same people over and over again Mm -hmm. um that's why he's done at least two movies with matt damon um at least two movies with morgan freeman He, he returns to these same people over and over. I mean, he worked with the cinematographer from Unforgiven for more than seven movies. His name is um, Jack, Jack N. N. Green, nominated for an Oscar for this movie. He worked with Eastwood more than five times, but has also done other work like Twister, Girl Interrupted, Secondhand Lions, 40-Year-Old Virgin, and Serenity, which is just a very strange wow. catalog. He also did the 2014 Left Behind movie with Nick Cage. It's his last credit as a cinematographer. Huh. I don't know what he's doing. 
But he worked with Eastwood over and over and over again in the 90s. And I, I think that he just like like Jim Cummings, like Jim Cummings is almost like trying to be a modern day Clint Eastwood, you know, Wolf yeah, of Snow yeah, Hollow. yeah, yeah. Wolf of Snow he Hollow. just like yeah. has the same people he wants to surround himself with. Yeah, like make a team, get the team on board, get it done, move on. People who can understand his creative uh, direction. Yeah. From on board with his own mind, extensions of his own mind. almost. Mm-hmm. You know, when we tackle these big movies from big directors, the first one, we try and hit all the really technical stuff, you know? Yeah. We try and name all the stuff, try and name all the things they've touched, try and name their, their collaborators and who they're working with. And then we let it sit. And when we come back around to them, we'll have done that work already. And we can have a little bit more of a, like a discussion about them. But this isn't <clears throat> Edgar Wright who's made, what, seven movies? This is Clint Eastwood who has made God only knows how many. About, about 50 as a director, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as yeah. an actor... Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot. Yep. Yeah. But we got we got to let him lie. Clint, uh, we'll return to you with Cry Macho. We'll see what we all think of that at the end yeah. of the year. Oh, just in closing, he's been nominated for 11 Academy Awards in total, winning four. Okay. Um, very quickly, this movie is written by David Webb Peoples, known for Blade Runner and 12 Monkeys. Uh, I don't know if anyone likes Lady Hawk or Leviathan. Anyone seen that? I have no idea what these are. Okay. No? All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> let us know if you're a Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk? Lady Hawk. <laughs> with an E at the end. Lady Hawk with an E at the end. It's got Matthew Broderick in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Saw it when I was a kid. It's pretty good. Uh, it's, I'll, I'll add it to the list. <laughs> don't. <laughs> you got more important things to do and better movies to watch. I don't want you to be distracted. Uh, Matthew right. Broderick. <laughs> um, but this movie stars uh, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, and Richard Harris in, in our bigger roles, showier kind of roles. Um, Gene Hackman, you know him from Royal Tenenbaums. Big favorite of at least Mike's. I uh, like it pretty well, but... I mean, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, it's a big favorite of a lot of people's, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people our age, I know. Yeah, I mean, I like as Royal Tenenbaum. As Royal Tenenbaum he, he himself. Is. He's he's pretty amazing. Oh, right? yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I like I like when he gets stabbed by his his helper. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> He's great. Uh, but then we got Heist, Enemy of the State, The Birdcage, Get Shorty, Mississippi Burning, Superman, The Conversation, The French Connection. He's uh, Academy Award nominated for Bonnie and Clyde. I never sang for my father. Mississippi Burning, and he wins for Unforgiven and The French Connection. Um, he'll definitely come up again when we do The French Connection. Yeah, it'll it'll happen. Is Gene Hackman still alive? Yes, he is. He's just been retired, He's retired. for about, I don't know, 20 years? Yeah, I think we saw the last one was 2004. Welcome to Mooseport is the final Gene Hackman film that he retired after. He will not be coaxed out. Several people have tried. He will not act again. Where do movie stars who retire go? Like, do they all go to... Is he hanging out with, like, Daniel Day-Lewis? It's just... probably... It's, they probably retired to Big Whiskey, Wyoming. <laughs> probably. <laughs> He's probably sheriff in Big Whiskey, Wyoming right now. I'm the sheriff here. (laughs) We have uh, Morgan Freeman, maybe principally known, I guess, to all of America for Shawshank Redemption and the Nolan Batman trilogy. I guess. I feel like... Seven. I mean, Shawshank, definitely. And Seven, right? But he's also in Wanted, Gone Baby Gone, Million Dollar Baby, Bruce Almighty as God. Did you forget that? (laughs) He plays God. I remembered that. He's literally God. (laughs) But also Glory and Driving Miss Daisy, which wins. Best also, picture. some of all fears. Also, some of which all is, fears. I don't know why it's I ben care Affleck. about that movie, but it's just like it's Wait, stuck what in movie, here. What movie is that again? That's a '90s movie, right? It's, it's a Jack Ryan movie. It's, it's the one with Ben Affleck. Two thousand or two thousand one. I just remember like 
I saw the like in Blockbuster. I yes, saw I saw that I saw so the box much so many times, and I wanted to see it so badly. It's, it's, I wanted to know it's, what the it's, it's half was. of Ben Affleck's face and like half of Morgan Freeman's face, and, and they're squished together. And it, there's all the missiles. Yeah, there's there's all the missiles. The, yeah, yeah. That, which is the sum of all of their fears yes. together is the missiles. Yeah. 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 It's the bouquet of fears. Yeah. Like I know I've seen that movie, but it got lost in a rush of other wildly ones. forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. Wildly oh yeah, forgettable. it has no. I don't remember anything about it, but I do remember loving it. And the last guy I want to mention is uh, Richard Harris, father of, of actor Jared Harris from Man from Uncle. He's uh, Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes: Game of Shadows. He's also in uh, Mad Men. He plays the British guy in Mad Men. He does I don't remember his name. In he Mad does. Men. He also he's also in uh, in Fringe. And he's actually in like most prestige TV shows. Yeah, he plays the British guy in almost everything. He's in Chernobyl. He's Very great good in Chernobyl. Oh, really yeah. good. Yeah, but Richard Harris is the OG Albus, as we talked about in uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Also, Gladiator is Marcus Aurelius. He's incredible. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. he is the reason why Tech is into Stoicism. So glad that Wait, you also what? made that face. <laughs> what? Could you could you explain, Mike? <laughs> I. I don't know if it was funny to begin with. Clearly, no, no, because okay, Marcus Aurelius he wrote like about stoicism, and he was incredible as Marcus Aurelius. Okay, let's just let's just get rid of that. I will not, because you (laughs) made that joke twice to me in one hour. Or or Jesse wasn't here the first time. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) he made that joke to me, and I also was like, huh. And you know, know like, that was. like all those, all the tech people, like our our elite tech folks, are into like stoicism. Do you know this? Do you, you know want this, this to go on longer on the episode? You know this. <laughs> this is not getting this. cut. All right. Every word you say is going True. into this. This this isn't. This is. I'm not. I refuse I'm to. Gonna, this this is a classic dad moment in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it has to it has to. This stay. is just because you guys don't know as much as I do. You know he was great <laughs> as Marcus right. Aurelius. I didn't realize that this was Richard Harris until. I was watching Unforgiven again the other night and I was like looking up his IMDb. I was like, oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, he was great. Loved him. Hey, Jesse, do you want to guess what the social promotion is going to be the week that Unforgiven comes out? It's going to be all about Marcus Aurelius tech <laughs> and stoicism. I promise you, that's all it's going to be. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, so I watched uh... Unforgiven. By the way, did you know? <laughs> stoicism. Those are adults. <laughs> Who's the trog? Me and Jesse. <laughs> call them the silicone so, stoicists. Is that no, what they're so called? Mar- Marcus Aurelius was a famous yeah. stoic. Like that's, he wrote the book on stoicism after I, Epictetus. You guys, I know that because you just told okay. me. <laughs> Scintillating radio, really good. All right, let's, let's move, let's move I, I am. I am putting my stoicism to. The, I don't care. Can we move on from Marcus Aurelius? <laughs> Could you could you have done the stoicism thing earlier? Thank you. Uh, but so we have uh, also in Patriot Games, a man called Horse, the Guns of Navarone, and Mutiny and the Bounty with with Marlon Brando. Yeah, Guns of Navarone and Guns of Navarone. Yeah, love it. But that's that's all we got for cast and crew. We've done it all. This is a big movie, and because it's it's kind of the the pinnacle of a lot of things. It's it's near the end of Gene Hackman's career. He only has twelve more years acting. At this point, he's sort of like he's gotten some of his Oscar noms. He's been in some very important movies. And he kind of chills out for a bit. He kind of is just like in fun stuff that he wants to be in. And then he leaves us. Clint Eastwood is sort of ramping up into a new phase of his career doing different things. I mean, he directs and stars in Bridges and Madison County. Like, this is a romantic drama. And that's not something that I would have ever ascribed to Clint Eastwood back in the 70s. 
but here he is doing this thing without a trace of a thriller in sight. But then we also have Morgan Freeman, who is beginning to reach our public consciousness. I mean, obviously starting with Driving Miss Daisy and Glory, but he's already a middle-aged man kind of coming into his own. I mean, after this, we're getting Shawshank and Seven, and then everything that we know about Morgan Freeman from this movie. You know, this is a huge springboard. And it's yeah. just a funny intersection of three giant talents in Hollywood. One cresting, one renewing, and one kind of, kind of you know, steering down. A lot to talk about there. But going into nostalgia, first impressions, uh, Jesse, do you have any nostalgia for this movie? Oh, I've got zero nostalgia for this movie. Because I think, like I said, I've heard of all Clint Eastwood's movies. I haven't seen a sing like most of them, a vast majority of them. And now that I've heard this list, I, I need to like go and see all of them. I don't know why it's Clint Eastwood's movies either. Like it, it just I haven't seen a lot of his. R-rated adult dramas, pretty much. I think that's all what it, <laughs> I think that might be part of it. Like watching, like while I was watching this, it's just like, oh, now I understand why I wasn't watching this with my dad earlier because there's yeah. a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's very violent. It's very violent, and not like a fun way either. Like it's it's, a, yeah. it's brutally violent. It opens yeah. up with a horribly violent scene. Yeah, a yeah. It opens up and with violent like, scene. It's literally like slashing a woman's face. A prostitute's um, face, yeah. 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 Because well, sorry, she laughed in not, sorry, not a woman, penis. a prostitute. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it worse when you say a prostitute. You know? it, it really does. Uh, not, not, like, it's a does terrible it? thing for any person to be slashed, but for someone who is in this occupation, for them to encounter such, a, such brutal and needless violence, uh, it's really upsetting. It also tells you, though, the seedy kind of nature of this Western, yeah. which is very different from other Westerns. We are yeah. opening on a horrific act of violence upon a prostitute from a man with a tiny ego and penis. Like, yeah, if you had to come up, the word gritty is used frequently, and this applies most aptly for this movie. This is a gritty movie. It's stuck in the grime of humans doing... Animal things. Animal, yeah. Yeah, nobody's acting really virtuous. So it makes sense that, like, I wasn't watching this with my dad. I don't think my dad would have really cared to show me this. And I don't really care for showing it to my kids, at least right now. But, like, yeah, so I recently watched this for the first time this week, and I loved it. This is exactly nice. what I look for in a Western. It reminded me why I like modern Westerns, because, like, older Westerns are just much harder to relate to. Because a lot of times, I really want to know, like, older Westerns were more connected with the Wild West in some ways, right? Because, like, their fathers could tell them stories or whatever. But now I'm so far away from that. Like, I want to know what it's like to live there. And all their conversation in this movie is about, like, I don't know, just living in the Old West, having, like, being annoyed that there's a storm about to come. Um, like There's a storm riding up our asses. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, like, having to deal with, like, a, a young kid with bad eyesight. Like it's funny that they slinger. a gunslinger with bad the eyesight. The old kid has bad eyesight. Oh, it's, mm, it's, I wonder where he got that name. You know that would have had to happen in like tons of people in the old west because I wear glasses, so like I assume other people are like that too. And it's so great. Finally, this is happening. It comes across as way more relatable, and also like one of my favorite bits of dialogue. It's it's like the sheriff's deputies are all like getting ready for the shootout or whatever. <laughs> and then, like the one-armed man comes in and he starts like emptying out his gun and reloading it. The other guy's like, "I, 
just loaded it for you. Like, why are you doing this? It's, like, it's so petty and so you got, like, you got three pistols but only one arm. <laughs> like it's this kind of funny banter. It's banter that I would actually really have in this time period. It comes across as very real. And then, of course, there's this commentary on violence, especially with, like, Clint Eastwood violence that I really enjoyed and very thought-provoking. And it's just, it's awesomely acted, the dialogue is great, and then that ending scene is amazing. I really like this movie. This movie's great. Maybe, awesome. maybe just looping it in, since you already mentioned it in, in your answer, maybe maybe when slash will you show this to your kids, if, if, it's, uh, if it's easy to come by your answer. Oh, that has to be like late teenage years. And like, and this is one where I really have to show John Wayne movies and Clint Eastwood movies beforehand. If you want to get the full impact of this and really understand what it's doing, I think you really need that. And to have that similar to our man who shot Liberty Valance conversation. Yeah, this would be so I would say like, watching John Wayne movies and then ending with the man who shot Liberty Valance and then you know, westerns could probably be watched chronologically. That mm. seems to be the best way to do it, yeah. Like, in the way that they were made and presented to people, because it almost seems like westerns are always, uh, they're, they're an answer to the past. And that's really cool. So, it, it'll probably take years to build up to this. Late I, I, I would show like I would show like Roy Rogers kid Roy Rogers movies to my three-year-old right now. Yeah. You know, it, oh, it, yeah. incredibly Agreed. inoffensive and, and nice, or Gene Autry or whatever. Oh, yeah. Crap, what movie, what black and white movie did we do recently? Did we do a black and white movie recently? Big Sleep? Yeah, I actually put that on for my kids because anything from that era, I'm just like, all right, they could they could watch. Yeah, whatever, this. it's on, like, who cares? Yeah. They won't get, they won't get <laughs> They're not going to get any windows. <laughs> They're going to fall asleep. <laughs> Dad's watching yeah. a boring black and white movie again. <laughs> I can't wait to show them all the generic John Wayne ones. Anyway, but Mike. How about how about you and nostalgia for Unforgiven? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I saw this in college, um, and it was this was one of the movies that was on like a drive that got passed around. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I decided to skip class one afternoon, and I was like, I'm gonna watch a movie. I haven't watched a movie um, in the afternoon in a couple days. Yeah, skipping yeah. class, man. So. <laughs> the sweet, the sweet, sweet smell of skipping class and watching great. a movie alone. Yeah. Oh damn, I miss those days. Oh, uh, so good. And so I put it on, and I was not expecting to be changed by it um, <laughs> i was not expecting so you know two and a half hour or two hours later however long this is like it comes to to dinner time and i just like the movie ends and I'm like, I, I don't know how to talk to people at this point so i just uh, i just remember you know putting it down walking to get dinner walking back to my room i don't know probably sophomore year 2011 yeah 2011 ish that's interesting because I just wanted to interrupt yours because yeah. in my in my freshman year of 2011, it was October. Huh. I wonder if we watched it the same time. Oh my god! Because I well, it wasn't quite the same time because I, I I went I got out of my 2:30 class. Yeah. And I went back to the dorm and I kind of farted around for like a half an hour and I watched the movie. And because it was October around five o'clock, it started getting dark, and I remember walking outside and not knowing how to talk. <laughs> and not knowing what to say to people i just i just felt something like very deep i'm That's 18 wild. years old yeah uh, i don't know you very well i don't know yeah. you either jesse uh you guys That's are right. both ahead of me yeah. but 
I remember getting dinner in silence and coming, taking it back to my room and eating it there in silence because I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself and all the thoughts and feelings I was having. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Like okay. the Are you okay. remembering that you did this too on the same day? It's hitting you guys really hard though. Like maybe it's because I'm older than like literally 10 years older than when you guys yeah. watched it. It it didn't hit as hard. Like I understand these concepts. If it felt like kind of familiar, but also like just done really, really well in a way that I haven't quite seen before. But like not shocking to the system. Did it shock you guys? Absolutely, it was shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. and I think I was I was probably twenty. Yeah, um, when I saw it, and I hadn't seen a western in forever. Same. It's been you know several years since I saw something that was this. I don't know, dark just dark it was, it was um it was so it's so bleak you know and yeah and, and harsh yeah. i was expecting what i what i was expecting what i had what i was trying to turn on was like a fun western i wanted 310 like, to yuma yeah yeah pretty much you know i just wanted like some shooties some bang bang yeah. and like and like there's some like a brief moral conflict i get to root for the hero the bad guy's cool yeah but unforgiven is like the bad guy is the, the most evil yeah, well, like, <laughs> the sheriff, um, little Bill Daggett is one of the most evil, most hateable characters. I hate that guy so much. Yeah. And William Money, like, I like him because he's the protagonist, but man, Boy, what a sad sack, a you know, guy. and what terrible shit he's done. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm from the American West. I'm actually from Wyoming, and I've seen a lot of these classics. And it was it was just funny coming to California, going to school, and and seeing things that I really recognize, not just landscapes, but also people types, archetypes of people, people I kind of recognized and seeing them in this way, in this realistic way. And the sadness that kind of came from that too, the, the, the lives lost in, in both to gunfire and also to, uh, to the choices that you made, how hard it is to kind of find yourself in the aftermath of evil decisions. Yeah. Really striking. Yeah. Yeah, and then like going to dinner with like five hundred other or three hundred other people is like not yeah. it's not what you want to do. All in late early twenties. Yeah, and you're just yeah. like you like sit down at the table and you're like, people are like, "Hey, how are you doing, Mike? Didn't see you at class. You doing okay?" I watched Unforgiven. No. No. no, I just said uh, no. I'm not. I just like ate my food and left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was not okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I really want to be able to say I want to show this to my kids, but I can't. I don't think so. I mean, it just like I sat down and I was like all ready to watch this movie because I, I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it. And I just loved it. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait till like my kids get older until I have a son and he's able to watch it with me. And then it opens and there is a guy having sex with a prostitute and a dude then cuts up another prostitute and the sheriff walks in and he does not seek vengeance on these bad people. No, 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 no. He doesn't, he doesn't seek the correct recompense, not vengeance, not even, it's not even He doesn't justice. seek anything. He doesn't seek justice. <laughs> Give he, some ponies. Find some ponies next spring. Yeah. And it's, well, it's shocking. Yeah. It, it's, a, I mean, like, I, we can go into that a little bit, but like, it's shocking. The first, like, 10, min 10 minutes of this movie are just a shock to the system. Yeah. After yeah. the beautiful opening, too. It opens beautifully with uh, with the opening uh, crawl or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, then just, just a shock to the system. And the, the picture of the him, system. like, 
digging the grave for his wife. Yeah. You know, against the morning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I kind of had a similar experience this time around, just like shocked by how horrible it was. But then, you know, I, I remembered like, Oh yeah, this is super gritty. It's gritty. Very real. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think I'm going to show it to them. I, I think I'm actually not going to show it to them unless they haven't seen it by, you know, by their twenties or something. Uh, I could see that. Something... I, I, I don't think... feel like I could like, I've got two girls, you know, I don't feel like I could put this on for them when they're 18 or. Yeah. And Jesse, with, with you having a current uh, young son, my wife watched the movie with me and she mentioned that she did respect it. She didn't like it very much, but she said, I really feel like that's a dude movie, but which I don't think that she meant to just say like, that's <laughs> yeah. only for men. Yeah. It is kind of a dude hang because a lot of the emotions that are displayed are, are very familiar to me looking at a man's face and the situation that he's in and all that. But I can see how that's kind of off putting if you are not yeah. actually a man, like if you haven't gone through similar experiences as these characters that would shape you in this way, you having a son, would you show this to your son? Well, just hearing what Mike was saying, and I think we've talked about this before, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say that sometimes when we're talking about movies that are like more revisionist of the genre, this kind of come up before, like when doing uh, uh, the man who shot Liberty balance ish. And, or even Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I've always been a little hesitant because it seems like they're not quite gelling with what you normally expect and they're throwing monkey wrenches into everything. It is harder to like really want to show your kid that because you're like, well, no, you need to be grounded first in what the genre is before you can subvert the idea. And also just like as a parent, you don't really want to subvert the idea, even if it's wrong. Like, I hate the idea of like building my knowledge for my kid and like showing them things and being like, Oh yeah, let's throw that all away. Instinctively. I don't really want to show it to them because of that, but I think it's a good movie in and of itself. And I think my, my son, he's two now, so who knows what he's going to be like, but just seeing what he's like now and how, e how much easier it is to show him things, even mm -hmm. than my daughter who's five, like he's just able to handle action way better he's not scared as much he he craves it whether it's in book form or movie form he always like wants that sort of story so yeah i think i will show it to him because this is more i think it's like what your wife was saying Vito. this is more of a a man's struggle this is about a struggle with violence and how cool and necessary it is and also how terrible it is and maybe everybody does it but you shouldn't well, it's violence yeah. and also your past. Too. Well, it's, it's it's interior and exterior violence. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. just violence um, everywhere. I I would I would show this to my kids. It would be conditional. Honestly, like I, I've I've kind of copped out a couple times without I show this to my kids. The last couple episodes that we've done, because um, it's very hard for me. I need to see kind of what my kid is going to be like at this time, if they're going to uh -huh. even be interested in this sort of thing. Yeah. And that's really hard to forecast ahead because my daughter is very eager in game for anything, which actually makes me more worried because <laughs> of how she doesn't seem to have many limits as, as to what is like upsetting or a problem for her, which makes me realize that I am actually going to have to be the arbiter for that, as opposed to like maybe your daughter, Jesse, where she is kind of governing that and you need to push yeah. her. I am the one yeah. that actually is going to need to rein her in. I think this has a really important place. I just need to see what she's going to be like. So I'm going to, I am going to say provisionally, yes, show it to my kids, at least 17. 
And yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Actually, I would like to also make the distinction. I'm, I don't think my daughter's ever going to care about this. My wife doesn't really care about this movie. She's like, oh, that's, that was fine. That was good. But I, I do want to show this to my son. So not my daughter, but my son. So it gets like half of a, I'm going to show it to my kids. Nice. I mean, well, I'm coming down straight up. I'm not showing it to them. I do hope that they see it, but I, I don't, I don't think I want to watch this with my daughters. We got to get you, you back know? in the fold, man. You've been, you've been a no. For no, the last I don't think so. Ones. I think I said yes about pretty much everything. Have you? Yeah. I don't think so. I think so. I think you did you say no last week? Well, I wasn't, I was out last week. Oh, would you, have, out. would you have said yes? Oh yeah, out? absolutely. Okay, knives cool. out for yeah. sure. Yeah. Glad yeah on the by record. the way, Mike. knives out for sure. <laughs> and it's a dad movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, absolutely. Good. Oh good. I'm glad. <laughs> no, and I was in, I, I ended up being in on even in the Heights and I don't know. I can't remember what else we've done recently. I think I've been in on pretty much everything, but I, I don't think I've said, I will not show my kids a movie. This one, I, I will not show this to my kids. I, even, you know, if I have a son, I don't think I'm going to show it to him. I think I want him to see it. But I guess it's something like this. This movie is about. It's about uh, reckoning with trying to reckon with your past, um, mm-hmm. as well as like being forced to act in that way. Right. And I think that I don't know. I think that's something that everyone has to deal with when they have kids. Mm -hmm. At least I know I do. And it's kind of like my kids are going to have to deal with that when they get to my age. And I don't know if I want to, I don't know what, experience that with them before they're experiencing it. You know what I mean? I don't want them to see, like I can just imagine, I don't know. I, don't know, I can imagine them, and this is this is putting it more darkly than I mean it. But like, I can picture them turning, and being like, "Hey, Dad, did you ha- do you have stuff that like you wish that you hadn't done?" Like, oh shit! <laughs> like, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, like that's kind of it, and that's what this. Uh, that's why I'm like the violence here, the violence towards women here is something that I I don't want to experience with my kids. Pretty harsh. It is really harsh. Just the sort of thematic content is something that I think that they need to experience on their own. Yeah. I, I wonder if like, it's not you know, well experienced having, with me. I grew up and, and watched, you know, fistful of the dollars and I watched uh, good, the bad, the ugly with my, with my dad. I watched Kelly's heroes freshman orientation at a college. Yeah. He came with me and we watched it late at night uh, <laughs> in the lobby. That's where we had Wi-Fi. It was great. One of my best experiences with a movie with my dad. Hmm. We watch a lot of Clint Eastwood sort of surrounding Clint Eastwood. But the big hallmarks beyond the man with no name, like Dirty Harry or or this or New Period, Eastwood, no. The answer was no, because I think that's a very private kind of thing, and I, I totally get that response. And I think I think that we're all just going to find our way with it and yeah. find out what we what works for us and what we want to do. Yeah. Um, but I like both your positions, and I, I I'm I'm happy with where we're at. Cool. I I guess. That like it's funny that Mike, you're you're talking about how you like you don't want to be there for that, but. Like, I really do. Like, with a lot of these movies, I think it's going to be, like, really awkward. Especially, like, big, impactful ones. Like, it could provoke awkward conversations. Although, personally, like, watching movies like this with my dad, I don't think I ever had that. Because usually, if it was a big, like, life-changing movie, like, I was so shook up that personally what I did is I internalized things, so I would, like, not really talk about that. And then there, we would talk, like more surfacey about the movie but not really diving deep into it but through talking 
just talking about a movie at all it helps you process it so that's that was how like i grew up watching movies with my parents and that's how i would hope to approach movies with my kids and i hope they would also approach it like we can watch a movie like this and then we can talk about how good you know clint eastwood's role is or or how good of an actor morgan freeman is and some of the lines in here and then like leave it to them to internalize because i don't think all of it has to be like me pounding out all the meaning of this movie with Mm -hmm. them i think that's fair i don't mean to say like i don't want to you know talk through like you know reconciling with your past and that sort of stuff with my kids i like if they haven't watched it by their early 20s i i want to try to goad them into doing to to watching this movie but not before so it'll get the dad recommend yeah oh yeah it's the dad recommend but not watch it with my kids Hey, you should sure. check this movie out if you ever get the chance to. You yeah. want to watch it with me? Nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're going to have to deal with that shit all by yourself. <laughs> so actually, that, that leads me into uh, into our next segment here. Talking about pitching this movie. Okay, this is a hard <laughs> movie to pitch. This is hard. Okay. And I, I did say that I would show this to, to my kids at least by 17. And I guess at that time, I would say something like this. Like, kids, your dad is from a place out west. He had a rough and tumble upbringing. He was raised on a ranch, knows about animals, knows farmers, knows sheriffs. And there's a movie that was kind of like, kind of had a feeling like what it felt like being back in those old places. And it's not like your John Wayne's. It's not like your Jimmy Stewart's. It's not like any, any white hat that ran, that came into town and ran off the bad guy and married the girl. It's not like that at all. It's what happened after all of that. And what happens if you're an old man, you're kind of broken down with regret. But you got this one last chance to do something. You just get a little bit of money. Just a little bit of money, you know? What if you had that chance? What would you do? How far would you go? Would you try and recapture that old thing that made you the best in the land, even if it meant like the sort of downfall of your soul? Or would you try and stay clean, stay the line, even if that cleanness kind of meant that you would fail? That's how I pitch it to them. That question, you know? What's, uh, what's important? Is is your principles important or is getting the job done important? Are you flawed? Does the job take precedence over the principles? Where are we at? I don't know. I think this movie tries to talk about it. I don't think it answers it, but I think it tries to talk about it. Yeah. It's I kind mean, of an underwhelming pitch. It's like a low pitch, but that, that's that's what I got. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know if I'd watch it if I was 17 and you pitched me that way. No offense. I don't know if I'm trying to get you to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a weird movie to pitch because it's not a blockbuster, but it does have like a, a 90s blockbuster. I don't know. It, it feels like a big movie. It um, does. Even though it's not actually a blockbuster. Um, well, no, it, it kind of is. It makes it makes almost $200 million. Ends yeah. up being a blockbuster. It doesn't have a blockbuster That's type picture. of budget, right? Didn't you say $17 million? million. That's 14, not a blockbuster yeah. budget. Yeah. No. It, that, that's like a get out kind of budget. And get yeah. out, you know, becomes a huge sensation. Yeah. Right. But it's even a bigger deal because 1992. <laughs> yeah. I guess the way I would pitch this movie is, at this point, my kids have seen the Man with No Name trilogy. So I'd be like, all right, this is Clint Eastwood. He's coming back in the saddle. But he's older. And the character he's playing is older. It's almost like the man with no name has grown up, grown old. And it's about whether or not he's he can still be that kind of guy, that kind of ruthless guy that he was before. Um, and whether or not 
the the guy that saves the town through tons of violence rides off into the sunset uh, can live a happy life and can live with himself doing all the things that he's done and this is clint eastwood with his perspective he's directing it like he's bringing his legacy into this movie you know what and i think that's the main pitch it's clint eastwood brings his legacy here for us to watch and puts it on the line for us that that's that's good that's good i I don't know if that would work on anyone that wasn't like a, a film geek 17 year old, but I can That's see that working I, on like a 23 year old film yeah. geek nerd, especially in, you know, 15 years when that happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why this has to be older teenager and they have to have already seen the other movies prior. They, well, they Absolutely. have to love them. They right? have to have liked it. Yeah. Which and they will. They will. Yeah, at least at least one in three. Th- two is two is really really good, but two is two is much more upsetting than either one or three. I haven't seen any of them in a really long time, and after mm-hmm. seeing this movie, I really want to go back and watch all of them. I and know. also, I think I will because after I watched this movie with my wife, she said, huh, "I didn't know Clint Eastwood did westerns." What the? What, f- <laughs> <laughs> what the? F- it's amazing. That, that is what I said. So I was just like, you you know, it's like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, right? Like, that's who we have in, in our life. It's it. yeah, that's, that's all there is. Clint Eastwood made more westerns than John Wayne. No. No? No, he didn't. No, not even. No. Not even close. But he made more <laughs> memorable westerns than John Wayne. Did. There we go. That, yeah. 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 So uh, so now I have to rewatch the whole trilogy. I mean, I, I, I'm looking. I need. I guess I, the, the, I, I got to buy the 4K. I guess it's it. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta buy him. Gotta do it. <laughs> I'm gonna buy him. <laughs> what is this sixty dollar charge? Oh, it's three movies. I don't want. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was worth it. It's an it's error. It it's, it's history. I bought. It's okay. It. You're gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, it's that, a present. That will not be true. That it's might. a present. It's a present. There's somebody in this house. Make <laughs> <laughs> my, my eight month, like seven month pregnant wife watch three hours of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man, that's gonna be. Uh, yeah, she's not gonna enjoy it, but I'm gonna make her watch. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah. Look, I, think his, I, I don't know if Mary Claire has. History is like an unpleasant vegetable, okay? <laughs> we all have a vegetable that we find unpleasant. I'm not naming it, like, because I like Brussels sprouts, and so you'd be they're like, history is like Brussels sprouts, but I like Brussels sprouts, so they're great. But there's a vegetable that that we don't like. History is like that. It's good for us. We don't like the taste, but here it comes, choo-choo, open up, okay? And I, that I is what history. the Man With No Name trilogy is about. Yeah. Like, oh, this is you are not picking wife. up the through line here. I'm sorry. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what it's going to be. Is like, no, yeah. it's good for you. You should know this stuff. This is this is good stuff to know. Yeah. There are yeah. three movies that will unlock all of modern westerns for you. And you will now are. understand. Yeah. What's your pitch? You ever wondered what the Angel of Death size looks like? I have. Got to watch this movie. <laughs> oh shit! Damn it! <laughs> Easy mark. That's that's a good one. That's simple. Okay, so we've talked about, you know, the thorny question of how our kids are involved. We've talked about, you know, when, will. We've talked about some of our nostalgia. How would we pitch this thing? But there's something that we've been hinting around, dancing around, and we need to talk about the violence yeah. in this movie. For my money, for <laughs> um, for my <laughs> my two cents here, 
the violence is very interesting because there's very little gun violence until pretty near the end. There's interspersed gun violence, but there's a lot of discussion about it. A lot of discussion mm-hmm. about like the machismo, about the, you know, well, I've killed, as uh, as the Schofield kid says, like, I've killed five men, you know, killing ain't no thing to me. And Ned and William are always kind of giving him the side eye. Like, do you know what you're talking about? Yeah. Do you know Have what you really done this? Yeah. I don't think you've really done this. Yeah. And then he brings up that um, money has, uh, has killed or one time killed like two guys in a fire. Ned is Morgan Freeman, right? Yeah. And Ned's like, wasn't it three? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm it pretty does, sure it was three guys. It's like every story that comes money's way, it's like he's killed more. Yeah. And he's, yeah. And, and that actually leads to like a, like a really cool kind of reveal, though, in the end, when he's standing off against uh, Little Bill in the bar, where it's revealed that he has killed women and children and damn near everything that moves. Yeah. Like it's always been, well, it wasn't that big. It wasn't that big a deal. Like, yes, I did kill a couple of those guys. Like, don't look at me. I'm not very showy. I don't brag. And this is why he doesn't brag. He doesn't brag because really in the end, William Money, before he met his wife, Claudia, and settled down and gave up these external vices of violence and pleasure and alcohol, he did some despicable things. He was some, a bad man. He was huh. an evil man. He was a psychopath. Yeah. All right. It's- and- uh, well, it's funny that you described it as as a reveal. It never felt that didn't feel like a reveal to me. I was like, oh, he's finally admitting that he was a terrible human being. Like I already kind of suspected that he well, was. There, I think there's a terrible human being thing where like I've killed a lot of men, right? But we're assuming there. It's like the typical Wild West uh, legend. Like I stood down a lot of men. I killed a lot of dudes that needed killing. I got paid for it. Like there was a justification, but when it comes to, I killed women and children and he just freely admits this, that seems to me to be, to be a very dramatic reveal because we knew he was bad. We didn't know he was evil. I got that suspicion like the entire time, to be honest, like maybe it's because I've seen enough movies where, it's revealed at some point where if they're quiet about their past, they're like, oh, you wiped out a whole village, right? So I just kind of expected it. So it wasn't as... Mm-hmm. I guess it is technically at the way the movie progresses supposed to be a reveal. But for me, that was like, oh, he's just an evil man. I think that speaks actually to the influence of Unforgiven as a film that post-1992, yeah. that, isn't, yeah. that isn't treated as like something that's surprising. Yeah, there's been stuff that where the bad guy is the protagonist. Yeah. Um, since then, and I guess before then too, but not not in a cowboy movie like this. I don't think. No, no. There, and, there's been times when tropes have been stood on their head, or whatever. You know, Henry Fonda is the bad guy in Once, Once Upon a Time, time, time in the time West. West yeah. Is pretty freaking like just that fact alone is uh, speaks this tale. Yeah. But. It was shocking. Like, that was what shocked me so much about the movie when I saw it the first time was like, oh, this guy's the bad guy. But he's not doing the bad thing. And I think that that that, that'll be well, hang on. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on to that one. We'll we'll reach that one. But just in terms of speaking of the violence of the movie. So we, we see a couple shootings. We see a lot of. William Money not being able to get on his horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which he acknowledges as sort of a, a divine recompense or like a karma. Yeah. Right. This is my punishment. 
for being cruel to animals is that he animals tells don't his like kids. Him. He tells yeah. his kids like I am. He's getting back at me mm-hmm. because when I was a younger man, I was not patient and I was cruel to animals. Kind of like he's uh, he maybe feels a little unforgiven from the big man. Yeah. But with with the violence that we see, it's very stark. It's very harsh. It's very brutal. But it also doesn't do the thing that we have seen in other Clint Eastwood movies where even though it's brutal, like sometimes there's something fetishistic and not like a Tarantino way. Like, oh yeah, look at the blood, man. Look at the blood. It's more, you know, violence is cool. Like Sam Peckinpah, Wild Bunch, like lots of slow-mo of like the bullets and the popping. Like there doesn't seem to be that here. In fact, the final blow that's delivered from William Money to to little Bill Daggett is off screen. We don't see the kill shot. Yeah. And it seems the violence here that is shown is very efficient. It's It makes its mark. But like the most brutal things we don't see. We don't see Ned's death, for instance. Right. Yeah, but... But we do see the guy who gets shot off of his horse, one of the two two cowboys. His death is slow and painful and really, really inefficient. Inefficient, but also non-graphic. Yeah. But then the next murder is the one where the dude gets shot, like, what, three times? You at least see two of the shots go into him, and he's sitting on the toilet. Um, but also, but also, kind of non-graphic though. Like, like if you've seen Big Jake with with John Wayne from the nineteen seventies, um, or even the Alamo with John Wayne again. Yeah, these are much more explicitly violent mm-hmm. things that show the violence on screen with a more artistic flair, right? Like Big Jake has like shotgun blasts and guys getting like blood pouring, and there's blood in this movie. Yeah, of course, but it doesn't seem like the violence is is, is in, very interesting to the director, to the person shooting the scene. What's important is that the violence is happening, not what it looks like, is my point. Yeah. I was also thinking about this in terms of just like action movies. And the last scene, I guess the violence in the last scene seemed really fun. Like to me, I got like... It was super cool. Like the the last scene just seemed like really cool. And it like, it was funny like watching that because like that's not what I was expecting. I guess I was expecting like a, a massacre of some sort, but I thought it was going to be like more brutal. And instead it was kind of, kind of fun and cool. And I thought that was weird. That was a weird little touch for me. Like with the movie commenting about violence being like really, really bad and evil. Is the violence, the question I had is, is the violence fun or is it cathartic? For the last scene, I cared about everybody in terms of like a, a moral scale, like in terms of like what they deserve, I'm going with like what Clint Eastwood had said at one point was, which is like uh, the kid says like he had it coming, right? He's like we all have it coming, kid, and that's what I felt like at the last scene. It's like yeah, they all deserve to die, I guess. But so that that that's huh. almost like my point. Like is is it's fun because the whole movie is almost like a big tease. Yeah. You know, you want these guys because they've been opposing our protagonist's interests and also because like I, I personally did not agree with the way that they were going about their method of serving justice. <laughs> I wanted them to stop it and I wanted someone to make them stop it. And here was this man and he was going to make them stop doing that thing that I didn't like. And when they did that, that felt good to me because it felt like order had been restored because the people who were doing the thing I didn't enjoy were done. And that was the catharsis huh. that I saw was like, I saw 
the balance of the universe tip back into the scales of something that I, I recognized and enjoyed. That's what I enjoyed about it. It wasn't fun like 310 to Yuma's final fight sequence where like, you know, the running and the the hiding and the, the shooting and Charlie Prince. I don't want to give away the end of that movie, but like that's a fun sequence. And it's clear James Mangold okay. as the director is having fun shooting it. This doesn't feel fun to me. This feels like this is the grand payoff of the emotions that we have been seeding and teasing you with since the beginning. And you're finally getting to see that William Money is a gunslinger. He's a badass. Yeah, he is a he is a badass. He's, he's the, the best. Guy, he's the best. He's the only yeah. one who's able to uh, to keep his head. It's not about says. being the fastest. It's about being uh, like like in it's the payoff of that scene like halfway into the movie where they're in the jail. Little Bill says it's not about being the fastest. It's about keeping your head. Absolutely, um, and that's what he does. And he's the yeah. only one that does, even beyond Little Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess the badassery part. Right, him being the badass and coming in just wiping out everybody, just being the best gunslinger. There's something really thrilling about that. And yeah. that's I think where... that's, the, that's the catharsis though, right? It's because he's been talked to, he's been built up. This is the payoff. He's been built up as this guy and you haven't seen it. He had a fever for 15 yeah. minutes, you know? <laughs> of the yeah. movie, three days. Yeah, so yeah in, three days. In yeah, life. so I guess it but did then feel... He... I did feel the payoff for, for seeing him and hearing him and hearing about all the stories. But again, not for everybody else. At, at the end of the day, it really feels like it's arbitrary who the protagonist is almost. Did I you feel, so. were you happy that, um, but were you happy that all everyone got killed? Were you like, oh yeah, finally, like all these deputies are are dead. Like they've been horrible. Not really. It really okay. feels like somebody else is going to come in and somebody else who deserves to die is going to take their spot, and there's no real difference. But even Except even he's the most even beyond an efficient killer of them all. But beyond so the extra textual thing, though, beyond the extra textual nature of the thing, what's in the text? When when they died, though, when the team of people that killed Ned and have brought this town under like despotic rule are killed, was that thrilling? Like, was that satisfying? It was satisfying to see money being the badass. That is the way it was satisfying for me. So, so I, I felt the same way and I felt like I was stoked that little Bill was killed sort of, but then I sort of like my, my mind rewound sort of what each of these people that have actually, all of them have had some significant street screen time, uh, definitely little Bill, but also the deputies as well. They give them like some, like the, the funny, like that there's a lot of funny stuff in this movie yeah. for being such oh, a yeah. dark movie. It's, <laughs> it's wild. It's, um, it's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But then my mind's rewinding. It's like, you know what? None of these guys were really okay with little Bill's despotic rule. And even little Bill, like the things that he's doing, like this is just John Wayne in reality, isn't it? Isn't this John Wayne as a sheriff, except in a more realistic way? Kind of. And I've rooted for that guy. The way it's not. And this is, this is why I say that evil Bill is, is evil is that he gains insane pleasure yeah he's a sadist from being uh, yeah. the meanest and most violent thing he can be he's right in the strictures that he places on the town the surrendering of firearms because the whores have have hired a gunslinger to come avenge their wounded one right right and he's right to be like okay this is bad for the town he's wrong in the fact that this means that this is martial law mother and this means that i get to now dictate everything i am god and if you cross me, I will make such an example of you. 
I will humiliate you in every way and I will do it with a smile. That's why he's evil is that he uses the force of good and law to pleasure himself. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's sadistic and that's, that's really wrong. Like as a sheriff, he's a twisted sheriff, but he still is, he's going for some sort of law. So like, I think he's using law. He's using law to benefit himself. And the benefit there is the pleasure at seeing other people suffer. Yeah, I I guess maybe what I think, Jesse, what you're seeing or, or whatever is, I, I think I'm seeing it too, is that there's, it's it's a bit of a gray, he's a bit of a gray character because, uh, yeah, he's doing some evil shit. Like he's, he's a sadist. He, he kills Ned because he's, he just is out of his mind yeah. with uh, pleasure over the suffering he's inflicting. But the choices that he he's making, it seems like he does want law and order in the town. It seems like he does want to prevent bad things from happening. He certainly says town. that. He certainly says it often. <laughs> but he also loves being in charge. He's the ruler and he loves himself. He's an egotist for sure. Yeah. So he, you know, he seems to have a few different motives. It seems like there's nothing that gives him more pleasure than not only beating an enemy. But humiliating Dis- disarming yeah. them, holding them under many guns, which is always his tactic, and then hurting them so they cannot fight back because of the guns that are on them. And then once they're hurt, then he takes them back to their cells, like English Bob. Then he destroys them in terms of how they view themselves and how others mm-hmm. view them. And then when all that's done, when the, when the earth is salted and the ground is leveled, then he lets them go in chains. Yeah, I guess I'm not I'm not at all saying that he's not evil. He's evil, but he seems to be a necessary one. Like, in this town, these prostitutes have put up a murder or, like, a bounty on okay. some cowboys' heads, right? And he's trying to prevent that. So, like, maybe they, they deserved to die for slashing up the, the woman's face. I guess you can make that argument. But it seems like he's trying to make sure... Or at least he functions as a as somebody to make sure that that sort of stuff doesn't happen. This isn't quite the wild, wild west. He's. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. That's his function. That that's what he's functionally doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think he's that's all I'm saying. He's evil, but he's functionally operating with the law or enforcing the law, which makes him more evil in my eyes. Because That's, he's, he's yeah. using the guise of functionality, the guise of order, the guise of, of good to exploit the way that he wants to do things, right? Which is why when he does build an edifice, it's a leaky roof. Yeah, it's really yeah, amazing. Right? Yeah. And did, you guys, did you guys like the door in the background? Yeah. It, the door is so warped. The As they say, there's is... not a single right angle in the house. <laughs> <It's so great. laughs> No, because that that's it, right? Like he's got a leaky he's got a leaky house of law and order. Yeah. It's functionally the law, but it looks look like it, it looks outside, like what it is what it's supposed yeah, to be. It looks, it yeah, it looks nice. It'll function so like a house, but like there's a bunch of holes, there's a bunch of pots and pans, there's yeah. And and um, finally it doesn't function like a house. Which is why when he gets shot in the chest, after he tells everyone to shoot Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood simply like shoots him and then drops down into a crouch no dude and then he calmly throws, like shoots people <laughs> he throws his empty shotgun at him yeah. like that was awesome yeah he <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah but 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 he but then he, he crouches and he just like pew 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 and other people are shooting at him he's like ah, oh, that's not a problem i'll just shoot you in a second hang on yeah um that's why i cheered and i, I looked at my wife and I, I when bill daggett falls to the ground that guy is gone yes 
I'm so happy. I don't care who's going to replace him. I'm not thinking about yeah, that. Right, I'm just thinking right. I saw an evil man go down, which is exactly, exactly what a Western wants you to feel. And in that moment, I truly felt completely unified with the movie. And I said, yeah. 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 But I, I, guess... I do think I, I do think that this is where the movie is finally most subversive is because we've seen this movie the other way around a million times. Yeah. The way he walks, the way he struts around, the way he moves, like this is John Wayne in half the movies he's in, right? Yeah, bravo. Yeah. Yeah, or in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I mean, I know he's not the sheriff there, but yeah. Um, he's still like the the guy who's keeping law and order, basically. Like this is, this is the John Wayne character um, who's telling people what to do and people obey him and he's the good guy. You know, here what we've got instead is we're rooting for Liberty Valance. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's who, terms. It, just in terms of, yeah. of someone opposing the law, but that's again, only because the law, if, unlike it, those things, the law has taken itself into its own hands and is now ex it, holding it over. It's it, the people it's supposed to protect. Yeah. And exploiting well, them. Yeah. I, I think so. And but I think that that's what, that, like what I mean by subversive is, is that that's like what John Wayne's character is doing in a real world. Hmm. Right. He is using the world to prop up his ego and to to get what he wants out of it. And that's what a lot of the lawmen were doing in the Old West. But I guess that's also what I see Clint Eastwood's character doing, too, which is what like I see little Bill as a necessary evil. And then I see Clint Eastwood coming in to stop it and murdering everybody is also the same way like there has to be someone to do this i guess someone has to like stop this rain and i guess it has to be you and i guess you have to do it this way but this this is awful this is terrible you shouldn't nobody should do this he yeah he's got no reason to be alive right yeah. well wait do you mean like like that line deserves got i don't deserve this deserves got nothing to do with it i i put that on my myspace page or whatever back in the day <laughs> I, love, I love that line it was it was yeah, amazing. Got nothing to do with it boom like if everyone got what they deserved yeah. william money would not have a family like he wouldn't have gotten married to a good woman um yeah and he would be eventually dead. and after all of this end up in san francisco being prosperous running a dry goods store or whatever it is but that's yeah. what I mean by subversive. It's it's standing this all, all this stuff on its head. Like in a normal world, in a normal cowboy movie, we would be rooting against William Money and for Little Bill, right? And if you look at just like the facts of what Little Bill does, he drives, you know, he drives, you know, hired guns out of town. He uh, tries to keep order and peace. He tries does all this stuff. The, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, he tries to keep, he, you know, tries to, rec you know, make sure the ranchers are happy who are keeping everything like and even even on the paper it's good yeah even he's the, horrible even the prostitute like justice scene at the beginning right when he's there trying to figure out what to do he says like all right you're gonna get a bunch of lashings and then he finds out that like the bar owner's losing money mm -hmm. and so he was like oh this is like a business transaction so what needs to happen is they need to give over the value of the prostitute's face to the bar owner because he's losing that money and that's going to be the most just thing. And they're not even going to get a lashing. And then what does he say? He, he does it in the guise of like, um, there's already been enough 
bloodshed. He says something along those lines. He literally right? says that to, yeah. the, to the head prostitute, um, uh, Strawberry, right? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. ironic. It's, yes. yeah, it's all in, like, this guy's, like, it seems like, so, like, this weird world of law, like, he, where it's twisted in his favor, he seems to be doing the just thing. Yeah. Yeah, when you ignore, you know, basic morality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I totally I, I think I think I we all agree with I each other. I think we all agree. Yeah. 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 No, we just needed to we just needed to hash it to out. To to work that <laughs> out. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah, no, yeah. and that that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um no, the only thing I was I was just aiming towards was I, I just wanted to make sure that when I said that little Bill Daggett being the most evil man here, that we all knew what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. It meant like a small in the end, an outclassed evil man hiding behind the rule of law and even though the rule of law is good in some ways and he is in efficacy doing something good the methods by which he's doing it undermine those actions yeah yeah for sure and i guess what this leads us to is uh, is, a, is a small side question I, I think it's yeah i think that we can go right into it like beauchamp beauchamp yeah. and jesse this jesse is, this what's his name beauchamp Oh, that has to be with the way we say it. Um, if you say it the French way, yeah. Like this guy's. This is a really weird guy. He's like a side character, and he's just like constantly switching allegiances. Like he starts out with what is his name? English Bob. Yeah, he starts out with English Bob. Like oh, I want to. I want to just just really funny since we're doing true grit. True, since we're doing true grit at the end of this, uh, and there's a big joke there about uh, the original uh, Greaser Bob. Bob. And it's funny that he's <laughs> he's with the original English Bob. <laughs> what if there's a Bob in 310 DM? I have to watch that now. Like I hope closely. so. I hope so. Oh, I don't think there is. Damn it! We should have picked our movies better. Why did we have three Bobs? <laughs> <laughs> but just uh, like side character Bobs, yeah, can't be me. Yeah, characters. no side sideshow Bobs. Yeah, side Bob, <laughs> like in the, the Simpsons. Original, the original sideshow Bobs. Uh, <laughs> So, like, or what is this guy doing taking along adventures and he's supposed to be, like, introducing new ideas to the audience? I guess I'm trying to figure out at this point, like, who is this guy in the movie? Is he supposed to be us analyzing the West and going through the different eras of it? Like, the English... I, yeah. I actually have a theory about this. So, so David Webb Peoples, when he writes this, right, he's he's done um, Blade Runner before this, which is uh, based on the Duanda's Dream of Electric Sheep by um, Phil K. Dick. Amazing sci-fi movie. But it's funny that he gets to do sci-fi and then he jumps right into an original screenplay for a Western that's very much about Clint Eastwood and about the West in particular. And a big thing about the West, if you're going to revise it, if you're going to make a revisionist Western, is that you need to ruin the myth. That is what Clint Eastwood in the movie as William Money is doing constantly to his own legend, right? Like, no, it wasn't that many people, blah, blah, blah. And it's also what little Bill Daggett is doing to English Bob through Beauchamp is this ruining of the mythology because with the mythology in the West, if you're a gunslinger, you're anything, you're anything you say you are, you can connect yourself. You can tie yourself to a place, a murder in time, something that's like noteworthy, then you could build yourself a real gunslinger reputation. So that's what he functions as in the movie. But for us as the viewer, it's very important in 1992 for Clint Eastwood, the spirit of the West to tell us that these are myths and that they're not real. It's very important for him to tear down 
this idea of the American West and its legends in our minds so that we can receive this movie. And what better way to do that than literally doing that in the text of the film through a character demythologizing people who are literally sitting in front of him. That's how I think he functions. He is supposed to be being taught by the people in this movie and then therefore through his experience teaching us. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I like that. It's interesting. I, it's interesting, like, uh, the way that English Bob and Little Bill and um, William Money all relate to him, too. The three gunslingers, because they're all gunslingers, right? Little Bill was a gunslinger before a new English Bob. Well, Little, little Bill was the, the sheriff, right, who had to work the, the rough and tumble towns in, in Texas. He he had to face was down he, the gunslingers. Was he a sheriff there? Or was I, he... I get the sense that he was always a lawman because they never said he wasn't. Okay. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very possible. I I, th- I think either way, like whatever he was, he was also a gunslinger. It was just depending on what side of the law he was, whether he had aligned himself with it. Because uh, English Bob is just like he's just faking it. Flamboyant Com- is all hell. Yeah, completely faking it. He hasn't killed anybody, you know, outside of the ones he got lucky enough to kill. Like like when when he drew down on two gun Corcoran, right? Yeah. And two gun was so fast before he got out of the holster, he fired off and shot off his own toe. <laughs> <laughs> why was he called two gun? Yeah. <laughs> Another reason why I'm not going to watch this with my daughters. Oh, because it's all it's like the penis schlong. and, and yeah, all the penis and like sex jokes. This is definitely a man movie. Uh, <laughs> a man movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know he just gets lucky. But Little Bill, it seems like he's got some real clout, or at least he little, knows. little Bill is skilled. He's got some, yeah, he's got skill. He's able to, to, English Bob is scared of him. Oh, yeah. For sure. Everyone else is scared of him. And it seems like it's not just bluster, and he's not just using the force of the. He's not a little man behind like seven yeah. guns that are being held on somebody. Yeah. Like he's, he's dangerous. Yeah. And you see that even when Clint Eastwood draws down on him and he says he doesn't care. He doesn't even care that he's about to die. Yeah. He's like, Shoot Boys, there's son seven of, of you. <laughs> He's got one more shot. Kill this, you know, shoot the son of a bitch. Yeah. He just wants him dead. Yeah. But it's interesting because, like, as soon as Beauchamp shows up, he, like, brings him over. He's like, hey, I've got the better stories. I'm I'm the real deal. I think I think that's the sadism, though, is that he loves sticking the knife and turning it into, into English Bob. Sideshow yeah. Bob, the duck. Yeah, yeah. Um, he duck. loves the humiliation. That's true. You know? But, but he keeps him with him even he afterwards. He does. And there, even then, the artifice starts to like fall away from him a little bit because yeah. he's looking around at his twisted house of justice, right? <laughs> and says, I can't write. You know, he looks up at the ceiling and it's like, ah, you should shoot the carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what? <laughs> Nothing. Sorry, nothing. No, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah, this, this little bit of ego cannot even support an interview, right? Yeah. But then when uh, when Beauchamp asks, tries to do the same thing to Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood says no. He says like, oh, you know, you you always shoot, what is it? Like you the always shoot the most, dan- yeah. the most effective gunslingers always shoot the most dangerous man room first and they go from there. So who did you shoot first? Well, I guess it was Little Bill. Who'd you shoot after that? And uh, money's like, uh, I just got, I think I, I just got lucky. I think he shoots Little Bill second, actually, if I remember the gun. Oh yeah, I think he, I think it's second. Yeah, he shoots the barman first. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I thought it was very interesting that they chose to use this guy to relate to each one of these three very distinct gunslingers. Plus, I think it works really well. Like, if you're a screenwriter and you have to make men talk when these men are not used to talking, the best way to make them talk is if you get them interviewed, right? Right. So get someone that will interview them. Yeah. Right? Especially someone that has like harmless and without guile as Beauchamp. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he literally pisses himself <laughs> at the sight of a gun. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's like seven guns. English Bob didn't have a problem with it. And he's the one that got the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> That's true. Oh, also just a little side question. Why do you think English Bob was known as the Duke in this movie? That's do you think a it's a question. joke about David Bowie? I don't know. I he's, honestly, he's, have he's a, no he's a idea. long, he's, he's the thin white Duke, you know? Yeah. I kind of, I, I had that weird, like free association, like, oh, he's like tall and white and thin and, and David British? Bowie, British, boom, Duke. Yeah. But also, I mean, he like it, the aristocracy. Yeah, that's probably a part of it. And like, well, I, I, I thought I it was a it to, like, Mark Twain, but yeah. Mm. But why is he English? That's just where it doesn't match up for me. I have no idea. Well, it was weird because, like, I would have expected the sheriff to be called the Duke in this movie, you know, especially since how we've been talking about him. If yeah. little, if little Bill Daggett had been the Duke, I would have deducted this movie an entire star. I would have been like, it's yeah. too obvious. It's. I like that he's called Little Bill. Why is he yeah. called Little Bill? No one talks about that. Why is it Little Bill? Why not just Bill or it's Big a, Bill? And he's because, okay and with like, it. He's, yeah, yeah, he like, likes it. He's like, yeah, I'm Little Bill. But with someone whose ego is so, I, I don't know, fragile is the right word, but so necessary to necessary, his existence. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's weird that he would have been okay with it from day one. I am long little, enough. For I it am to li- stick. Sheriff Little Bill Daggett. Yeah, First but I mean, maybe that's little. how he introduces himself. He's like, "Hi, I'm Little Bill. This is obviously ironic, and I you're gonna laugh because you're not because." You know, like I mean, if you it, don't, I'm going to shoot you. I, I, I guess. I don't know. It's just a weird commentary. Yeah. Well, I, maybe, I don't know what it's commenting on, but. <laughs> oh, maybe it has something to do with like, I don't know. Maybe little Bill would be one of those people where words don't mean a whole lot to him. But like action, but he's one of those like, you got to prove yourself. With your the, actions word, type. the words mean a ton to him, though, because he mm. consistently calls him the duck. Oh, that's true. He knows it's Duke. But that's because he's trying to dig into him. He knows words mean a lot to this English guy. I think I think that words are just important to him, though, just the way that he addresses people. I mean, he's always giving speeches to everyone. Yeah. He's speechifying. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I think I think what it is is like a little bit more subversion. I think it's kind of like so that you were like, huh, that's weird. Why is English Bob the Duke? Because that's obviously John Wayne is the Duke. And why is he little Bill? And why is he William Money? That's a little on the nose. But he's also, <laughs> it seems like the evil stuff he did had nothing to do with money. It had to do with psychopathic behavior brought on by alcoholism. These names, it's almost like none False of these- legends. Yeah, yeah. Boom. There we go. That's it. That's it. That's Bo, that's, that's Beauchamp. He's letting, he's the yeah. key to your story. He's, he's the one the... telling us the legends. Did you know that all along, Jesse? Were you just letting us figure it out? <laughs> I mean, no, that makes sense. Uh, we got there together, guys. So the, Look at the that. False that, was, legends, that was great. Starting with the Duke and then going out, going on from there, learning a little starting bit Starting with the Schofield kid. The Schofield kid, you know? Yeah. Because he comes up, he rides up and says, I'm the Schofield kid. And where did he get that name? 
He named himself because yeah, he, he has did. a Schofield. Yep. No one has called him the Schofield <laughs> kid. Never killed anybody. <laughs> yeah. The mythologizing is always false. Yeah. Unless it's the case of William Money, in which case it's false because it didn't go far enough. Yeah. <sighs> he doesn't want to be a myth. So question then. Leading, it's our final question. Oh, our, our, our penultimate question. This movie called Unforgiven. I think it's pretty clear through our conversation that William Money is unforgiven. Especially in his own eyes. Yeah, especially when he says to Ned, like, it's because I'm unforgiven. Remember that line? <laughs> that you want to know why this movie is, is incredible? They never say that. The word unforgiven is never used. <laughs> yeah. If it had been, this movie would have been worse than one star. This would have been like a great, like, I pick it up out of the bargain bin, you know, and been like, wow, it's like really striving for something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I was sitting here like, where's the title drop? There's, <laughs> they're always title dropping in movies. But I got to get him on the 310 to Yuma. I'll take attention. <laughs> I hear you're a man of true grit (laughs) (laughs) i I expected it to be at the end you know with the with the cut up prostitute being like why don't you stay and like stay here with me or whatever and clint eastwood turns and says i can't because i'm unforgiven i thought yeah Yeah. i thought that was gonna happen for sure i i honestly like this time around i also was like is the girl gonna go back with him is that what happens i don't remember i thought he was gonna wind up with her like for sure just based off of other westerns i thought he was gonna fall into like his his old ways and then get better and be with another wife person (laughs) (laughs) more subversion it's just subversion here there and everywhere but i think i think the unforgiven thing is is funny because I, i really do think it's like it's no good deed and no bad deed goes unforgiven. Like Ned, you know, comes out and he doesn't kill anybody. He freaks out the last minute, can't do the murders and decides to flee. And he is captured before they had done the murder. And before he'd fleed, actually, he had cheated on his wife uh, and visited the prostitute multiple times. And he gets the worst death of anybody. He gets he gets essentially flogged to death, we're led to believe. He gets yeah. whipped until he dies after giving up his friend, who he hopes will uh will kind of avenge him, right? And yeah, he's like away kid, from his he's away from his you know, Sally Two Trees for like three days is like, oh, I gotta have sex with the woman now. Yep. Uh, I might just uh, nip off and do that while my while my best friend in the world is suffering from like a crippling fever. I'm going to leave this open bottle of whiskey in front of him, even though I know he is a degenerate uh. alcoholic. <laughs> um, so so that happens. So yeah, Ned, they're not Ned, really good friends. So Ned say. is not he's not, he's not unforgiven. He's punished, right? But then, like the Schofield kid, he is he's punished through guilt. He yeah. finally gets what he wants, right? He's going to live the rest of his life, yeah, feeling regret. Do you want my gun? I won't need it anymore. I will never use it again. Yeah. And then there's William Money, who does nothing wrong for, like, the whole movie. Like, nothing morally wrong, really. Except for taking up a contract to kill somebody. Um, which is morally wrong in its own right. But, like, in terms of a Western, nothing, like, really moral, wrong. Moral, ethic, un- ethical universe of the movie. He's okay. Also, I'm just going to point out, this, this kind of struck me watching it. Like, you know, he was told that the, uh, the prostitute had her eyes and ears gouged out 
And and her breasts. And her breasts, breasts. yeah. And he tells that to Ned, and then he meets her. Like, he has to realize there's there's a dissonance of what he was told and what she looks like. And then he chooses to go off and kill kill the people. Like, she has scars, but her scars are mostly healed. Like, when you say the face was cut up, and her eyes were gouged out versus uh, she she got her face cut up and she she has she has visible scarring not like she's not been maimed yeah you know? she hasn't been maimed like that's a different story like you're no longer killing for her you're it seems like you're going well beyond what was deserved uh, yeah in for a penny in for a pound yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, I think like it's still pretty horrible but oh, yeah. i, I oh, think that, yeah. yes, that's on purpose yes. like i wonder if first draft they had her had that happen they're like you know what would be even more interesting with the character is if um it's made very clear that he's not really doing this because he's a good guy but it's more about the money it's because he needs some money because he can't 500 deal with those pigs any longer and no one's got the fever paul yeah. <laughs> no no hang on the, the final thing though with money though is that when he he suffers so much everything seems set against him he he gets he gets cold he gets the fever he keeps falling off of his horse like nothing is really working out for him until his his friend dies and he realizes like i'm gonna accept almost like the the come hither gesture of the succubus and he, he starts drinking the whiskey on his horse yeah and ever since then, I don't know if you guys noticed, it was a brilliant touch by him. He starts to walk straighter. Yeah. He doesn't hunch anymore. His words are clearer. He doesn't halt in his delivery. He's very clean yeah. and, and matter of fact. Like everything about him subtly changes into a much more confident and intense presence. And he does away with everyone, but he doesn't want more than that. He takes, he takes exactly as many people as he needs to kill, lets people go, walks out, says, don't kill me. I'm done. I'll shoot you and leaves. It's like, it's almost like some sort of cosmic balance was set in place. Like enough was taken from him and he could level the the playing field again. That's just, I don't know. Just talking about the title and and free villain. Personally, I got the the power trip feeling from all that. Like, because he knows he can. He knows he can kill all those people, but he's not going to. Like I, I don't see a whole lot of morals entering into into play here. It's just like, I can kill you all. Should I bother with you? I don't. I don't know. You let me know. I'm gonna write off. Yeah. Do you have anything to to say as a final note? I thought that that was per- that scene was perfect where he takes the where where he when when he finds out that Ned is dead and he takes the bottle from the from the Schofield kid and takes a drink like he changes and you see you see the man you've heard so much about i mean this whole i I thought it was a brilliant touch i thought it was a brilliant it was exhilarating we spent the whole movie yeah it was but i feel bad about it yep and that's and that's i think i don't know you're watching watching him break bad again you know yeah 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 you are but it's it's more than that. Like this, this whole movie, what I have wanted is to see the William money. That is a legend um, that we keep hearing uh, Ned sort of allude to and him regret and the Schofield kid want to see. Um, and he doesn't ha- want to have anything to do with that Ned uh, or that, uh, that William money, you know, William money doesn't want to be William money when he was younger. He wants to stay away from that. He doesn't want to take a drink. He doesn't want to do this stuff. I mean, that's and like yeah. the whole movie, you're kind of wanting him to take a drink. 
like he's sitting there sick and you're just like, dude, if you just take a drink of that, that whiskey, like you're going to be better and you can be able to do this. And then when you finally see him do it, cause his friend's dead, you're like excited and thrilled. But at the same time, like you feel dirty that you're excited yeah. about that. I felt that way. I did. Too. Yeah. I thought that that was brilliant. You're, you're so watching alcohol, like, alcohol has become an alcoholic again. And yeah, not just, just on the alcohol, mental. but on yeah. blood. Yeah. And then, all, but there was like one big indicator, just going back to like the cutting off or when they were talking about the prostitute getting cut. When the kid tells him about the prostitute, he says like, cut up her face, cut her eyes out, cut her ears off and her tits too. And then when he tells Ned, he tells Ned, they cut her eyes out, they cut her tits off, they cut her fingers off. Yeah. <laughs> Which means like, he's just making stuff up. Yeah. Like he just heard something. He's like, I'm going to justify this no matter what. And when and he I wants first, to get Ned to come to get Ned to come, but also like, I thought it was like a way of him justifying it to himself, which is like to create this grand myth, this grand story. Like, 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 like if they cut her eyes out, like they may as well, like just like cut her farms off, you know, like it's, it's terrible what they did. Like, let's just say yeah. whatever. Exactly. Let's get you in on this. Yeah. And that, and that's how he's, that's how he's yeah. getting in on it too, and you yeah. know, you know, he's going to be drinking whiskey. He has to because of this, right? If the lie is big enough, if the justification is big enough, then he's going to go on a killing spree. Yeah, and he kind of craves it again. I think he wants to go live that life, and it's really sad watching him in that position, even though it is thrilling. This movie is actually the story of a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, nobody, nobody was like a modern day Unforgiven. I will say that now. <laughs> nobody starring Bob Odenkirk is a lot more like Unforgiven than a lot of things. <laughs> Great. Put it on the list. Do it. Do it. Um, but for all of us here, then we have to ask the question that we always do. Is Unforgiven a dad movie, Jesse? Yes. Yeah, it's a dad movie. It's going to be hard to show this. I, like, I'm never going to watch this with my daughter. This is like a father son dad movie i mean like i i think i'm going to be talking about this is always going to come up right if we're talking about clint eastwood and and westerns like this is this always has to come up in his career and in westerns in general like when we watch john wayne it's going to be hard to not think about this and not want to talk about this with my kids this yeah this is a movie i want them to associate with me with westerns this movie that I'll enjoy on my own and I want to watch with them, at least my son later. So yeah, it's a dad movie. Cool. Uh, yeah. Unequivocally a dad movie. This is, this is a great, this is a great movie. It's a magnificent movie. And uh, it's something that I like hold dear to me. That might be weird, but uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of, like we said, Clint Eastwood makes movies, very masculine movies, movies about men. And so, men, 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 men. <laughs> exactly. There we go. I think there are exactly two and a half men in our main three three characters. <laughs> just, just to push that joke yeah, a little bit further. Yeah, I don't know why I go. did, but I did. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So yes, I think it is a dad movie. I, I agree. Yeah, just for the Clint Eastwood of it all, the history of it all, the Western of it all, and how we talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be, right? Yeah. This ushers in like a whole new age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a discussion, guys. This is a... I'm, I'm going to mention a question here. 
that I'm going to put a pin in. I don't think that we should talk about it. I want to know. So Jesse, you've talked about this a couple of times and we've talked about this a couple of times with Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and with this movie where we say, we've said like, oh, you know, we want to make sure our kids see a lot of the other movies to have the baseline understanding of the Old West uh, or like the Hollywood's version of the Old West before we see these subversive films, um, before they see them. And I'm going to ask a question. Is that true? Have Westerns ever not been subversive? And I'm going to leave that. Well, if you want to hear the answer to that question going forward, then stay tuned to our, our newer episodes. We will be doing, like I said, we'll be doing 310 to Yuma and True Grit from 2010 from the Coen brothers. Uh, and both, I think yeah, that, both that the modern ones, not the old ones. Yeah, no old, no. No oldies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but great pin in. Uh, that might be a new segment. We'll discuss it. I like it. I like it. Pin in. Do you like that, Jesse? Yeah, pin Put in. a pin in it. Yeah, the yeah pin, put the, a the pin, pin in, in it. It's like you're pinning it. Uh, pin it's in. like you're pinning it to like check, the, check it out the, like this, the like, tack board. Wait, like you gotta, board. you gotta pin in, or or is it like it. a pin out because you're throwing the grenade and it's gonna launch and explode later. <laughs> I, 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 that I, is much different. <laughs> you guys not know? Guess, you guys not know this term? This is a. I use this term like all the time. I'm gonna stick a pin in you to get a reaction. It's like you put it, you you like put it up on the on on the the cork board, you know, in the skin with a pin. Believe it or not, I've always envisioned like a pin going into somebody's mouth and it just expanding like a tampon and just blocking it. Cool. Nice. Like you're putting a pin in it and then you take it out later. Put this pin in there. Yeah. (laughs) Put that pin in in there. I'm gonna thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I love that glimpse into your brain. Thank you. That's beautiful. I'm glad you appreciate that. Yeah. But anyway, um, from all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. Good night. <laughs>